0: Hello and welcome to The Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams.
1: And me, Ellie Betts.
0: Each week we're here to help you persevere through the tough times, be your most productive self and get that work in progress published.
1: Wherever you are in your publishing journey, we've got your back.
0: Today mm-hmm. we're talking to Claire Stevens all about how her cancer diagnosis influenced her writing life.
1: Big shout out to our podcast patrons for all of your support.
0: As a patron, you'll get early access to episodes, the chance to submit questions for our guests and access to our bonus series, Healthy Habits.
1: Healthy Habits isn't your typical productivity advice. We're not here to tell you to get up at 4am and go for a three hour run.
0: Hell no. We're exploring the latest research to find small changes you can make in your life to be happier, healthier and more productive in your writing life and beyond.
1: To start developing healthier habits today, Come join our community at patreon.com forward slash writersmindset.
0: Do you want to write 50,000 words in 30 days? The 50K Writing Camp has got you covered. This November. Join dozens of authors making their dreams a reality. Weekly live writing sprints with international best-selling author Daniel Wilcox. A group word tracker to help keep you on goal. An online community of your fellow writers. All your writerly and author-like questions answered. And new for 2023, a one-month free subscription of Activated Authors. Head on over to www.activatedauthors.com forward slash 50k to secure one of the limited spots today. So today, Claire and I are recording during some pretty crazy weather here in the UK and air conditioning is not a thing in the UK unless you're like in an office or a supermarket basically. So you might hear some background noise like the fan that I've got going that I am not turning off because it's keeping Millie and I alive Um, or you might hear the neighbours for example. So I just want to apologise for that but um, you know, survival during a heatwave is important. So, as I said earlier, with me today is Claire Stevens, one of my old uni friends. Welcome to The Writer's Mindset.
2: Hi, Christina. Thanks very much for, for having me on to, to talk to you today.
0: So, it's can a pleasure. You just ta- thank you. Um, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do, please?
2: Yeah, so I'm an author. My name is Claire Stevens, I'm a fiction author. Um, I write contemporary fiction and my the genres it it kind of crosses genre a bit but it's been described as literary stroke magical realism. I've written two novels my first one was published in 2019 and the second one is coming out next year.
0: Very nice so tell us a little about how and when you got into writing.
2: Well I've always written no, I've always enjoyed writing. Ever since I was at school, I used to love writing stories and things. And I remember once the teacher, it was probably about eight or nine, the teacher read out the first line of one of my stories to the class. I remember feeling so proud and also getting a little bit of a, an, an inkling that, you know, this is something I could do. It shows how important it is, actually, how, how important teachers are in encouraging you at school. Um, so, but writing creative writing remained a hobby when I left university I, I trained as a journalist so I worked as a journalist for a few years in regional papers so I was writing for a living and then I moved into PR so still I was doing a lot of writing as part of my job um and I carried on sort of tinkering with creative writing as a hobby I, I joined a few creative writing groups and, and things like that we'd swap stories but um and I always had it in the back of my mind that one day I would write a novel. But then I was diagnosed in 2010, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, which is quite devastating, as you can imagine. But having that diagnosis kind of spurred me on. There's, there's nothing like a cancer diagnosis to focus your mind on what's important and what you want to do. And I decided that, you know, it it sort of makes it brings it home to you that that, um, life is limited and uh, if if there's something you really want to do you should get on and do it so that is when I kind of uh, took my writing to the next level if you like and um, wrote the novel and there there were several things about that cancer diagnosis that um, encouraged me to write I started I, I was signed off work with not much to do apart from think about this you know diagnosis and and go to rock up at hospital for appointments and things I started writing a blog and this was in 2010 and there weren't so many people blogging at the time and to begin with it was just um, something to amuse myself and then I shared it with a few people they started reading it regularly they shared it with other people and it kind of grew from there and what surprised me was that total strangers were reading my blog and people were reading it because they um, found it entertaining. And that gave me the idea that I could write for an audience. So not only did I find writing, writing the blog in particular therapeutic, it really got me through that whole kind of cancer journey because I was able to kind of see humour in uh, the situations I was in. And it also gave me feedback from an audience. And, And through that, I connected with other people, people across the world, other people with cancer, which was great. The other thing that happened that year was a a close friend of mine, Jane, who she herself had had cancer twice before. She was diagnosed that year with a a secondary cancer and and, um, tragically she died at the end of that year. When I went to see Jane, I went to see her in hospital a few days before she died. I asked myself, if that was me in that situation, what would I regret not doing? And the answer was writing a book. And also I had told Jane, I mean, I had Blue Tide Rise my first novel was a sort of, in its embryonic form as an idea in my head at that point. And I told Jane about it and I said, I've got this idea for a novel, what do you think? And she said, I think it's really good. You should write it, Claire, I'll read it. So um, I did write it. Sadly, you know, it was too late for Jane to read it, but um, I dedicated it to her. So the whole cancer thing on several different fronts, spurred me on to take my writing to a new level and then um a few years later I got the opportunity to take redundancy at work which I did and that gave me both the money and the time to do the MA in creative writing at Nottingham Trent and that was when I wrote the the novel the first draft of the novel and I used it for my dissertation so that's kind of been my my journey into into writing And how cancer, cancer, you know, influenced that and and cancer in a strange way helped me, helped me become a writer.
0: Can you just share a little bit more about like when you were going through the cancer, what was on your mind? Like, were you um, trying to be optimistic about it? Were you feeling kind of low? Was it kind of up and down? Um, And was it cancer that you were blogging about and connecting with your audience?
2: Yeah, I mean, my mood was swinging all over the place after that diagnosis. I mean, it's a a devastating thing to be told. So at at times I would be really low. At times I would be absolutely terrified. At times I had a kind of weird kind of euphoria. And uh, and, uh, I remember um, leaving work one day, and this was at the point where I hadn't actually had the diagnosis but I'd had to have the tests and they told me to come back next week and bring a friend which isn't a good sign and they also said your lump worries you one of the nurses said your lump worries me which again isn't isn't doesn't inspire confidence so at this point I was leaving work and it was a Friday after work and it was raining and it was just a sort of bog standard friday afternoon in nottingham city centre and people were kind of going home with their coats turned up and umbrellas up and things like that but i just had this amazing feeling of how wonderful it is to be alive you know which was strange so yeah i had these moments of feeling really high and feeling really really conscious of life and how great life is and, and other times when i felt low I felt frustrated I felt angry I felt isolated I felt very scared you know because I didn't know how bad it was or or you know I mean I'm one of the lucky ones because that's 2010 and I'm still here and I've had touch wood and no recurrence but you know it's, it, it isn't that that isn't the story for everybody I mean even though um Treatments are getting better all the time. Prognosis, particularly of breast cancer, is is better than it, it's ever ever been. But even so, that just that word cancer strikes kind of fear into you. So yeah, my emotions were all over the place, and th- yeah, I was blogging about the cancer. I, I was I was blogging about trips to hospital, um, the medics, the sort of strange things that some of the medics said. <laughs> um, it, just a general experience of the, the operation the you know chemo and all the things I went through I was probably I, was I found humor in it so so my sort of um, treatment involved first of all an operation which was a mastectomy and reconstruction and then they tell you well in my case they tell you whether or what's happening next I was hoping I'd get away without having to have chemo. But they'd found traces in my lymph nodes. So in which case, they recommend chemo. And I, that was almost as devastating as the original diagnosis. Because it's, a, you know, it's months and months of horrible treatment. You lose your hair, you feel dreadful, and your, your immune system is, is completely shot by chemo. So there are risks, there are a lot of risks attached to it that you could pick up infections. And I did have a couple of, get a couple of infections while I was on Cuba I had to go into hospital and get treated. So yeah, that was a, a uh, you yeah, know, a bit of a, another bombshell. But then, you know, get through it all. And it's it's funny thinking back to it actually, thinking, oh, I, did I really go through all that? I did, but there are a lot of people worse off than me, much worse off than me. I think sometimes
0: um, you look back on challenging uh, things said, that I... you've experienced and it's like, was that real? Did it, like, was it a different lifetime, a different century? It's like pre-pandemic feels like a different century now.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly.
2: exactly. And I was talking to a, a friend, another writer friend who also had cancer and she was saying the pandemic reminded her a bit of that. Because uh, it said that at the time when you're going through cancer treatment, you're the one going through it and everyone is just continuing with their normal lives. But for the pandemic, nobody, life wasn't normal for anybody. Everyone was hiding away. Everyone was, because you know, when you're on chemo, you have to be really careful not to be, any, be near anyone who's got any kind of infection. Um, but it was like that for everyone during COVID. which I thought was quite an interesting observation.
0: Yeah, I can see that. It definitely makes sense, because everyone suddenly became afraid of everyone else's germs, if you will.
2: Mm, That's right, and people people shut themselves away. Yeah, Uh, and I mean, some people still have have to,
0: because the um, vaccine doesn't work very well for them.
2: Well, that's right. There are still people learning to shield, Yes.
0: Your experience with chemo, did it affect your ability to write either the fiction or the blogging that you're doing about your experiences?
2: Well, it, 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 it was weird because they would give you steroids um, straight after the chemo. You'd take steroids for three nights and they keep you awake. So I have this like steroid high where my brain would be absolutely buzzing and I'd be writing in the middle of the night. Um, but then there were other times I was just too kind of weak to do very much. But I carried on blogging. I wasn't particularly writing fiction through that cancer journey. I was just doing my blog. Um, so I carried on doing that. But, you know, so, whatever was happening, it was it, it was comfort to me. It was a it was therapy for me to be able to write about how I felt.
0: Yeah, I get that because that's um, why I talk a lot about my health issues because I'm not bottling them up and if I bottle them up I feel worse but if I like just talk to Ellie and say like oh I'm having a rough day or maybe I post it in our Facebook group or just talk about it on the podcast it kind of relieves some of the pent-up almost anger at your own body for betraying you.
2: It does I mean I ran a group for uh, a writing group for people affected by cancer at the Maggie Center. I ran that for six years and what I noticed was uh, and what I found myself is that if you've got loads of emotions, loads of thoughts circling around your head, just writing them down gets them out of your head, stops them from circling um, and puts them onto the paper so it helps you process your emotions, helps you make sense of them and and, um, which is why that kind of therapeutic writing, you know, why groups like that group at Marys are really important. And not just writing other forms, but there's an art group there as well. Creative expression is um, is so valuable if you're going through something, I find.
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely mean, some agree. people
2: didn't come along, to, some of those people didn't come along to that group d- during their cancer treatment. Um, it was all too much but they would come afterwards and help them make make sense of the what they've been through their experiences.
0: I think sometimes we underestimate the power of writing even as writers because yes okay a lot of us are writing fiction. We don't think about how when it comes to writing non-fiction and exploring our emotions that it just relieves us as of a lot of our physical tension and our inner whatever we're dealing with because it's why I'm a big fan of expressive writing expressive writing made a massive difference to my fibro and fatigue like I can't even tell you the difference and Mm -hmm. I don't think until we're doing that writing exercise and coming out the other side of it we realize how much we were holding on to and how much it was impacting us physically and mentally
2: exactly right I mean they've done they've done studies haven't they into into the effects of writing on ex-offenders and other groups of people and finally, it has really positive effects on mental that's health. Interesting.
0: I didn't know that about ex-offenders. I only know about yeah. the impact on chronic health, so that's interesting to know. Yeah,
2: yeah there's was a guy, uh, somebody did some studies in America, I can't remember his name, but specifically with ex-offenders, and it was quite interesting.
0: Yeah, it sounds it. it.
2: Yeah, something
0: Because I guess, like, up. in that situation when you have an offending, there is something that caused that, whether it was past trauma or you're wired a certain way, you're raised a certain way, like writing is going to help you to unpack all of that in a safe space because you're not writing it to be read by anyone else. You're not talking to a therapist. If you're afraid of judgment, that can be really scary. You're just doing it to offload and it's just so (laughs) freeing.
2: And it also boosts people's confidence, if people come to the, the Maggie's group and they didn't think they could write and they'd be quite nervous and they'd say, I haven't written anything till, since school, I wasn't any good at school, but they were good, you know, and they'd write and they'd enjoy it and they'd write poetry, and, which was great. And you, you, I kind of think it's so sad that they were, they came away from school thinking that they couldn't write.
0: That is really sad. And I think, unfortunately, it is a reflection of the education system in a lot of places. Like that creativity is not encouraged. You are trained to write like a lawyer or something. And if you don't do that, there's something wrong with you. And going back to what you said before about teachers, I was really lucky. I had like three that really encouraged me. I had one at junior school who encouraged me to write short stories during the half-term holidays because she knew I enjoyed writing. Um, I had one who was an English teacher who I just, like, talked about books and literature and stuff with. And he was always, like, he gave really useful feedback when he, like, edited my essays and stuff. Not edited, marked, you know what I mean? And then there was this other other teacher and he was like a really well-respected figure in the local community, been around forever, well-known for walking around wearing a big, like Australian style hat that I've forgotten the name of, like you could spot him a mile off. And um, I remember, I always like, you know, there are some memories that are just cemented in your mind. I always remember he gave me an essay back once, I think it was in year eight, this was in history. And he said, I love the way you write. It's really chatty and casual. And I feel like we're just having a conversation. Don't ever change that. And it probably screwed me over a little bit when I was at school and uni because I found it hard to switch that off. But it's really Mm -hmm. helped me in terms of blogging and writing fiction because it makes what I'm writing much more conversational and much more accessible. Because I know a lot of my readers have chronic health issues. And because I'm writing it as if I'm talking to them, it's not like a mind fuck to try and work out what this or that means. Because I'm not writing really long, descriptive sentences. I mean, there's nothing wrong with long, descriptive sentences. But they're not something I can, like, do. My brain can't do it. I think it's the poet in me as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, it it shows how important teachers are. And just something like that, like that guy, guy saying that to you, or the teacher who read out the first line of my story at school, just something like that is memorable. And you remember that, don't you? If a teacher had been really critical, you would remember that.
0: Yeah, one of our past Um, interviewees, Tara Kelly, she actually had, I think it was an old boss at work, tell her she was a terrible writer. And she stopped writing for years because this person in, like, a position of authority had told her she was bad. Like, how awful is that to say that to someone Mm -hmm. and not even offer any, like, constructive criticism or anything? It's just, you're bad. It's the worst type of feedback.
2: It's terrible. Yes when it's somebody in a position of power it it's a, it's um it stays with you doesn't it and, and it, it's a very destructive thing to do
0: really really is mm. so going back to your journey how did you find that your cancer diagnosis and journey through recovery changed your relationship with writing like at what point did you go okay I'm going to commit to writing fiction now I'm going to do this more than just for fun I'm going to look to find a publisher
2: um I was I I think I started to think that when I did the blog and when when the blog um got more readers and, and when I started getting feedback from people that they were looking forward to the next blog where's the blog what's the blog about today you know or I really like your or well, it really made me laugh or whatever. Um, then I thought, I really don't want to go back to work. You know, I mean, I did go back to work. I had to go back to work, but I, 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 at that point, I thought I don't want to do the sort of work I'm doing for the rest of my life. I want to do something with creative writing. Um, and then it, I think it cemented. It was towards the end of the year when Jane died, and when I saw her in hospital, and I thought, mm-hmm. I've got to do this you know I will regret it if I don't so I think that was a kind of pivotal point in my in my journey and then I think once you decided you're gonna do something there's a theory isn't there that if you see your mind on something the universe will um, conspire to make it happen so things kind of fell into place, not straight away. I mean, I wouldn't have had the energy anyway after going back uh, going back to work after having cancer. I needed a bit of time just to, um, you know, stabilise and my immune system was really low. I didn't have much energy. So it was good to have a job that paid me to get back into that. But then after about a year or so, this opportunity came up to take the redundancy. So I went for it, and it all kind of happened from there, really. And I, I think, as a writer, your, your, your journey is ongoing. You, you never know quite where it's going to take you. And it also doesn't really matter how old you are. You can write at any, at any age. You know, it's something you can carry on doing, or you can even start. I mean, some people don't start writing till they retire, which is good.
0: Yeah, I think it's never too late and it's never too early to get started. Like I used to have people say, oh, you're too young. You should get a full-time job and work for the man for a few years. I'm like, but I don't like working for the man. It's really bad for my physical and mental health. But I've got a thing that I'm good at and people want to pay me to do it. Like why? why do I need the man in the middle telling me what to do and how to do it? Like why? But also... know there is this thing you hit a certain point and it's like um you feel like it's too late because you've done so many other things like those kind of big lofty dreams or goals almost feel intangible i guess or impossible
2: yeah i mean with some things you do have to be young to do them i guess like if you want to be an athlete you got to start young and then you're retiring in about 30, aren't you? Yeah. But writing yeah, but is something that you, you can do at any age. So, yeah. Um, it's one of
0: those things that has the lowest barrier to entry, I think. And that's both a blessing and a curse.
2: Yeah. I think it helps to have always written, to be in that habit of writing. Your, your writing can only improve. So if you start writing young man, that's great. I suppose that, that whatever, I think if you're a writer, whatever you do through life, None of it is wasted because you get ideas, you get inspiration, you come across characters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you use things. You use bits of people. You use situations. you Everything is interesting and everything helps you with material or potentially helps you with material um, and yeah. whatever your experience or bad if you're a writer you can you can use that
0: yeah definitely um and I think people sometimes forget that that everyone has some sort of story in them like I don't necessarily believe everyone has a book in them I believe everyone has a story that is interesting and whether that is their life story or a five minute fragment of their life that was really interesting or powerful you know there is something
2: definitely yeah when I did my journalism training The tutor said to us, everyone has a story, at least one story, even if they seem boring. It's your job to find their story. And it's true. People don't always realise that they've got an interesting story. They often don't think that their life is interesting, but everybody has a story.
0: Exactly. So you mentioned doing the MA, which is obviously how we met How did studying your creative writing MA influence your writing journey, your processes, your approach? What impact did it have on you?
2: Well, it it gave me the confidence, first of all, to say I am a writer. It um, helped me improve my writing a lot. And a lot of what we did there was workshopping with other students. And I found that so useful. Because you've got a ready-made audience, and the um, particularly younger people, you know, I found that really good to get their feedback on my writing. Um, But we—I mean, there were people. There was quite a range of backgrounds, wasn't there? And a range of ages, ranging from sort of early twenties to I think the oldest was seventy. So and all sorts of different backgrounds different nationalities as well on that course so I find it really really helpful
1: yeah it was
2: get feedback from other
1: people
0: I think we got lucky, like you say, there was so much diversity, so many different perspectives, so many approaches, and it's not like any one way of doing things was right or wrong, everyone was open to discussing things and supporting each other, it wasn't like the other people in the class were your competition, it was How can we help each other and raise each other up? And I think that's so rare, particularly for beginner writers. Like you do see like the indie author community, everyone's always looking to help each other. They have tremendous support regardless of what genre someone writes in. But I have certainly found a lot of people who are much newer to the industry. They're afraid that like their ideas are going to get stolen or they don't want to approach someone further along in their career for advice. And, you know, mm. everyone wants to help each other because everyone knows how hard it is.
2: Indeed, yes. I, th- I think that perhaps one of those things when, when somebody uh, starts doing something like the MA is face, the idea of facing criticism. But, or, yeah, yeah, the idea of people reading your work and giving you their opinion on it if you that you may not agree with their opinion you might not like their opinion but they are readers um so their opinion is important and i think you quite quickly get over that it was well structured and the criticism was all constructive
0: having like the um technical part of the class with the um tutors first and then going into the feedback I always liked doing that because then like, it's not just personal opinion, you're analyzing it based on these foundations. And you know, every story does have these foundations that it needs in order to be effective. And particularly when we were writing different forms of poetry, knowing those um, kind of foundational things was really useful for me. Cause I was used to writing things um, without that level of structure. But um, then having the option to explore something different really developed my poetry writing skills.
2: Another another really good thing about the course, the fiction course, was that um, Graham Joyce, who had been off poorly with cancer, he came back briefly and he was my tutor for my dissertation. And he suddenly died that summer. But I found him really encouraging really good i mean all the shooters were good but there was something very special about graham and um i i found i just found him really inspiring and really really helpful in the the feedback that he gave me
0: that's really good because i never got the so chance I to meet him
2: a real privilege.
0: Mm. yeah because he was like yeah. I probably mean, one he of he the can... biggest names on the course wasn't he I can't remember. He'd done some game writing, I think, and he'd also published quite a lot.
2: Yeah, I mean, he he won the British Fantasy Awards many years running. Yeah, he he was probably the biggest name on the course that year, and I just feel it was such a privilege to because it, yeah, I only met him very briefly. Really, he ran a few sessions, and then I I said, could he be my tutor for the dissertation? And um, and then he got poorly again. I I went to see him for my tutorials I went to see him at his house in Leicester because by that age he was he was um you know he had cancer as well so that's another kind of link yeah but it, it yeah it felt like such a privilege to have him involved in my writing journey albeit very briefly.
1: What sort of feedback
0: did he give you on Blue Tide Rising when you were working on it for your dissertation?
2: he gave me brilliant advice on this structure, because the structure was all wrong. I had a load of backstory all chunked together. (laughs) And he said, you need to balance it out. I mean, it's a very simple thing. It seems obvious now. He said, you need to balance it out with front story. So I did, I did. I just, I struggled with, I still do probably struggle with structure the more more than anything else. But um he just helped me see it differently and, and helped me go back and revise it and improve it. No end. So yeah, it it was it was the structure, it was the main thing, I think.
0: That's really lovely. There there's always something, isn't there? Like I remember Rory, my tutor, um he helped me with description that's still something I struggle with but I remember we were sitting in a cafe and he explained to me like rather than having a paragraph describing how someone looks kind of find a way to wedge it into what they're saying because my stuff's quite dialogue heavy so for example can they like flick their hair while they're talking stuff like that and it just makes Mm. it flow a lot better rather than having like an info dump of every minute detail that makes some person's appearance unique that you're probably going to forget and the reader's probably going to forget as well because it's just that one paragraph and you actually want to get to the action in the story.
2: Yes, it's it's sort of weaving in those little things, little mannerisms and body language and things like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not very good at description. I mean, I'm not very good at remembering to put it in. So I sometimes kind of go back. And I think I need a bit more description in here. So I kind of retrofit it. Um, I tend to just, I tend to write without much description initially. And I don't personally, when I'm reading, I don't like long, big chunks of description. It sort of turns me off.
0: Yeah, I'm the same. I don't like the big, long chunks of description. I think that's to do with my attention span. And also I do write quite dialogue heavy first drafts. And the only time I haven't done that is when i had a complete outline and i was writing about a location i was familiar with i tried the same process where i was writing a book set on a cruise ship i've never been on a cruise ship i don't really like boats and i found it a lot harder to include the description as i'm writing whereas when i was setting it somewhere i know it was much easier i guess because i could see it in my head and i already had the language to explain it whereas Having not been on a cruise ship, it makes it harder to visualize certain aspects and like how they engage with their environment. So I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm just going to write this and then see what happens. And I can just weave in the description later, like you're saying. And actually, not long after I thought that, my friend who has been on a cruise ship sent me a link to a cruise ship tour of the one that she went on a few years ago. And it's like an hour long. But, like, even my boyfriend came down and started watching it, and he was like, should we go on a cruise? So now we're <laughs> considering that for a holiday.
2: <laughs> yeah. It shows, it shows the value of research, doesn't it? Interestingly, when I was writing my, um, my second novel, there are some scenes set in Ljubljana in the early 80s in a club, and I contacted the Ljubljana um, the City of Literature through our Nottingham City of Lick. And they put me in touch with some people there who, because it was a kind of burgeoning indie music scene at the time in the They put me in touch with some people who could help me with that. And one of them sent me a video from 1982 in one of these
0: clubs. And it was amazing. That's so cool. And it shows the importance of that network as well.
2: The network. Exactly. Yeah. And I actually began to see something. Which is why we're we're so lucky that we have this thing, the internet, because you, you, you it just helps so much with your research.
1: It so does. It? So uh, does. You
2: haven't been to a city. You can explore it. You can explore it virtually. Um, mm-hmm. My new novel is partly set in the southwest where I grew up. And um, the main character lives somewhere She lives in a fictional place, but it's kind of like the area where I grew up and I found on YouTube, somebody filmed the the bus route that I used to get on my way to school because I went to school in Bath. (laughs) So I used to kind of relive that through this YouTube video. So you can, I mean, you can do walking tours and all sorts yeah it's so cool
0: yeah I when I was working on one of my other projects I wanted to learn more about the Nottingham caves and um, I found a video on YouTube and it was some urban explorers actually going into Nottingham's catacombs I didn't know Nottingham had catacombs they're um, sealed up so you're not technically meant to go in Um, and they're actually not as good as in some places that they are like just they're not as interesting as the actual caves, but it's interesting to find out like that kind of local history that you kind of accidentally stumble on when you're looking for other things.
2: That's right. And then you can, you can weave it into your writing.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
2: I think as a writer, life is endlessly fascinating. And, uh, you know, you come across things that weren't originally going to be in your mind and you think, yeah, I can, I can use that. I like writing in cafes and, places where there are people because I like observing people so it really helps with those descriptions
0: it really does yeah and I think sometimes the atmosphere can be really nice when you're sitting in a cafe
2: yeah so I'm not very good if I'm just sat at my computer trying to describe what a person looks like what they're wearing how they walk I can't always conjure that up but if I'm sat in a cafe I can look at people and get ideas
0: yeah I you used to find their
2: body language
0: I used to do editing in a cafe. I edited my dissertation in Costa, and I just found that, like, that change of scenery got me out of my own head a bit so that I could focus a bit more and be a bit more objective about what I was working on.
2: Absolutely, yeah. It it, it takes you away from the other, the other distractions that you have, have around you as well at home. So, I mean, uh, during COVID, there wasn't much open, but everything's open again now, so that's an option again now which
0: is great yeah exactly so one question we ask all our guests is what's one book that changed your life
2: feel fear and do it anyway by Susan Jeffers it was um she was kind of big in the 90s but that book was um quite pivotal in that it's all about I think it was Susan Jeffers that first talked about this idea of fear barriers and going going through fear barriers and it has helped me with so many things I used to be really scared of standing up in a room in, in front of people and, and talking and uh, that book helped with that and I did a, that year I hitched to Turkey to raise money and awareness for Amnesty International I was scared of doing it I, I did it with somebody else but that book kind of helped me step by step overcome all my fears it's all about just overcoming your fears and doing what you want to do and how that how empowering that is so that was a brilliant book and and her other books as well i mean there's been a lot of kind of self-help groups uh, books since then but i think that was probably the first self-help group okay self-help book i came across and it was yeah it was life changing
0: it's one of those classics for a reason, isn't it? Like people still talk about it now because it is sometimes basic advice or it's sometimes things you hadn't considered. And one thing that always, always stuck out to me was when, um, it's near the front, I think, she talks about um, when someone is driving somewhere saying things like, take care, stay safe, drive safe, etc., And that subconsciously plants a seed of fear is if there is something to be afraid of about driving mm. and I never thought of that Does before that because never- my mum and nan always used to say that to me when I was driving from like where they were to where my boyfriend was about to uni or whatever and um, I asked them to stop saying it because I've got such bad anxiety that that would have a massive effect on me and I wanted to be mm. instilled with confidence instead so like I will text people to say I've arrived at a destination, but I don't necessarily like it when they tell me, like, let me know you get home safe, that kind of thing. Because again, it's implying that you're doing something dangerous, which I guess you are. But at the same time, when you're more afraid of doing the thing, the bad thing is probably more likely to happen because you're Mm. so alert and tense and afraid.
2: Exactly. And a lot of those messages we get, particularly through childhood, are all about, be careful, you know, there, there is a big bad world out there, it's a scary, the world is a scary place. In her her book, she sort of talks about positive affirmations and everything and all that kind of thing, um, giving us positive messages, which I think is so important. It's quite empowering, isn't it? And not to be afraid. I can't remember, I not remember it, but I just remember... There were practical exercises as well, like doing something that you're a little bit scared of and then increasing it bit by bit and gradually. And then, and you feel, if you if you're doing something you're a little bit scared of, you feel um, you feel good about it and you do it successfully. You feel good about yourself and then you want to do more.
0: Yeah, that, that's kind of what happened to me. Like, it took me three attempts to put my first book, What Happens in New York, up for pre-order. Because I was just terrified of doing it. I was breaking it. And I made my boyfriend sit next to me so that I could press that pre- that submit for pre-order button. And he was like, why did you need me here? You did it all yourself. I'm like, it was just your presence that I needed, that, that moral support. And now I do it without even thinking. And now mm. I am much more comfortable doing things outside of my comfort zone and trying new things because I've got into that habit of doing it. Exactly.
2: Yeah, and I, th- I think she's got... A line in that book about working through fear is much less scary than being, I can't remember how she described it, being kind of controlled by fear. Working through, doing scary things is actually less scary than letting fear confine you and, you know, constrain you.
0: Yeah, if you're in that cycle of like letting fear or anxiety control you, I think it's easy to forget that actually doing the thing and then having done the thing is less scary than panicking over doing the thing or if the thing is actually going to happen the way you are afraid it will. Yeah. So where can our listeners go if they want to find out more about you? I've
2: got a website, clairstevens.com, so they can find out more about it. I'll do a blog, which is called Away With Words, which is on that site. The, there's a link there where you can buy blue tide rising which is my first novel and um i'll be announcing things in the run-up to the publication of my second novel
0: very also nice. on twitter
2: at very, nice. Stevens.
0: very nice thank you for joining us this has been really inspiring and it's been fun to kind of reminisce as well
1: <laughs> it has yeah thank you i've enjoyed it found this episode interesting or helpful make sure you subscribe to the writer's mindset on youtube or your favorite podcast platform or all of them we don't mind
0: everything from a like to a rating to a review to a subscribe to shouting about us on social media helps us to reach more writers so that they can overcome the mindset issues that are holding them back with their writing too
1: if you're on social media come join us on instagram at writers mindset pod Or join our Facebook group, which you can find by searching for The Writer's Mindset.
0: And don't forget to come join us over on Patreon for our bonus series, Healthy Habits.
1: See you next time.
0: Keep writing!